yesterday morning as I was sipping my coffee and uh, watching Fox News, um, they were doing a special on memorialized veterans who had lost their lives in foreign wars. And I was reminded of something that happened in my youth. Uh, Now, I'm not as young as some of y'all. However, uh, back in the 70s, the early 70s in particular, um, I wore what was called a POW bracelet. It was an aluminum bracelet that had the name of a fallen prisoner of war. And Major Alton B. Mayer was the Air Force pilot that I had on my bracelet. And I wore that bracelet faithfully, even got the green crud underneath it, amen. Uh, But I wore that bracelet faithfully until I got to see Major Meyer come back home on television. See, he had been shot down in North Vietnam and spent all of his time at the Hanoi Hilton where he said that when he was shot down and was being carried to the Hilton, uh, he had multiple breaks in his legs and gashes uh, in his head and around his body. And as he was going from village to village on his way to the Hanoi Hilton, all the residents of the villages would grab a hold of his legs and they would just twist that broken leg uh, in order to... Uh, caused him to suffer all the more. But uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alton B. Meyer passed away in 2017, and I got to thinking, you know what? I can't think of a better way to honor our fallen men and women in uniform than to honor the ones who served as a prisoner of war. I'm reminded of B. Tarpley, uh, Brenda Tarpley's father, uh, that lost a leg, and I don't know, does anybody know if, if B lost his leg in the war, or was it something else? Does anybody know? Anyway, he, he lost his leg, and uh, I remember the first road trip that I took our kids on with our children's ministry was to go see B Tarpley, and he didn't want to talk a whole lot about his days as a prisoner of war after World War II, um, but he did tell a little bit. And he was trying to instill in those young people a love for America. So if there's anything that we might do as a result of Memorial Day, I pray is that we will love America more than we do. Hey, uh, Brother Lynn, would you mind shutting that door back there, brother? It swung open. Thank you. Now, that had nothing to do with your message this morning. That was uh, free. Amen. Uh, That was extra two cents. But uh, we are continuing uh, in our study of Samson. Uh, Many of you know Samson was the strongest of the strong. And we're continuing uh, this study on the judge named Samson. Now last week we found that Samson was a man who had very little respect for the will of God in his life. And as a result, we also learned that Samson was a man who was headed for a whole ton of T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Amen? Trouble. Samson is a warning, my friends, of all those people who like getting right on the edge of the cliff. Samson is a warning to people 
who try to push the envelope of sin, seeing how much sin they can commit before they get in trouble. Samson is a warning to people who try to see just how much they can get away with before God's discipline falls on them. Friends, we need to be reminded that just as God held Samson responsible to his vows, God also holds you and I responsible for the vows that we have made to him. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior from sin, if you have accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life, you need to know that God expects you to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life. Can I get a testimony? Amen. God expects us to live holy lives because He is holy. God expects us not only... Not to flirt with sin, but God expects us to actively pursue a righteous life. Friend, can I ask you this question this morning? Are you actively pursuing a righteous life before God? Today we're going to look at some events surrounding Samson's wedding to that uncircumcised Philistine woman. And we're going to see real good reasons why God commands His people not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We're also going to see that this wedding was not the joyous event that most weddings are. In fact, it turns out that this wedding is a time of arguments. This wedding is a time of threats, a time of crying, even a time of killing. In fact, as we go through today's verses, you're going to see that there is a great price to pay when God's people wander from the path of His perfect will. We're going to find that there is a price to pay when we potentially gamble our lives away. So we're going to begin taking a hard look at the events surrounding Samson's wedding. If you'll go with me to Judges chapter 14, yes, Judges chapter 14, that's going to be, I think, on page 231 in the Bibles in front of you. But in Judges chapter 14, we continue this narrative about Samson. In verse 10 of Judges chapter 14, the Bible says, So Samson's father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought, that is, the bride and her family brought, 30 companions to be with him. Now, to understand the significance of these events, you also have to appreciate the emphasis that this culture placed on the wedding tradition. How important the wedding tradition was. Verse 10 tells us that Samson and his family provided this wedding feast. This was a seven day long feast for the entire wedding party. So you can imagine that probably could get pretty expensive. 
Well, since the groom's family was responsible not only for the feast, but also all the wedding expenses, then we can assume that Samson's parents must have been pretty wealthy like Brother Harold. Amen? I'm just kidding, brother. Amen. Now, after a dowry was given, a dowry basically is money given to the bride's parents to compensate them for the loss of their daughter and the loss of a worker in the home. After the dowry was given, then this couple would begin a betrothal period, kind of like an elongated engagement period of about one year. Now, during that one-year period, the bridegroom, the groom, would be preparing the home for them to live in, as well as organizing everything that was involved in the wedding feast. Meanwhile, the bride was preparing her wedding wardrobe, amen, preparing her gown and getting ready for the arrival of the groom. And then at an unannounced time, at the sound of trumpets and much, much shouting, the groom would arrive. He would take the bride to their home and the marriage would be consummated and they would begin enjoying this seven-day-long feast in their new home with the whole wedding party. Does that sound like fun to y'all? Can you imagine getting married and then the whole wedding party comes to your house for seven straight days to enjoy the feast? However, Samson's wedding was a little bit different since he was from out of town, the Bible tells us that the groom's family provided him with 30 companions to accompany the groom in the course of the wedding. Other than that, it was a pretty traditional wedding, but there are also some underlying facts that I want to point out to you this morning. I want to point out to you that this was also what we call a wedding type. A wedding type. Now, we can never consider Samson to be a type of Jesus Christ. That's out the window. However, we cannot look at this traditional wedding without considering our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We cannot consider this kind of traditional marriage, this conditional wedding, without considering Jesus' bride, the church of redeemed believers. You see, Jesus made the first trip, amen. He made the first trip and he arranged the wedding. He arranged the marriage. Jesus canceled the debts of his bride. Jesus purchased her for himself. In fact, Jesus gave himself for his bride. Then Jesus returned to his house, amen, to prepare a place for his bride. And at an unannounced time, he will return at the shouts and trumpet blasts, and he will claim his bride, and he will take her to be in his home in heaven. Friend, what a beautiful picture that is of what's waiting for those who believe in the groom Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for the bride. But Samson's wedding was a little bit different, as I mentioned, because there was also this wedding temptation. This feast, in the original language, was a feast with wine. 
This was a feast involving wine. In other words, because as a Nazarite, a man separated under the Lord, he was to have nothing to do with the vine, right? He was not to touch wine. Samson had no business being at this wedding. He had no business being at this feast. As a Nazarite, separated under God for his entire life, he wasn't to even touch anything that came from the vine. So here he is drinking wine at the feast. Here he is with the enemy, the Philistines, drinking wine. And here he is about to go into this God-forbidden marriage with a woman from the Philistines. It just seems like to me that Samson enjoys gambling with his testimony. I'm going to say this just once because I'm not a legalist, okay? I'm not a legalist. However, when anybody sees you drinking, they will look on your testimony negatively. If people see you drinking, they're going to reflect on your testimony negatively. Furthermore, if you are hanging constantly with the enemy, with ungodly people, they're going to look upon your testimony negatively. If you get married to an ungodly man or woman, they're going to look upon you negatively. We need to understand that we need not gamble with our testimony. Because once you cross the line, once you begin to get friendly with sin, it ain't long before you, my friend, will begin to indulge your own desires like you never believed you would. It just happens. It's the way we are wired. Sin is like a virus in your life. And being that sin is like a virus in your life, it always grows if it's allowed to stay. It always gets worse if you allow it to stay. So you have to deal with it. Think about this. The sin of unforgiveness. Man, you let unforgiveness go and it will consume your life. If you let one bad habit uh, to be allowed to exist in your life, you know what's going to happen? That bad habit's going to get worse. And it's going to be hard for you to get rid of. Think about ignoring God's word just here or there. And what happens is, ultimately, you become unfaithful to the Lord at all. So, friend, don't allow things like unforgiveness and habits and ignoring God's word to exist in your life. Once that line is crossed, it just becomes easier and easier for you and I to go deeper into sin. That's just what happens. It's a heavy price to pay. A heavy price to pay to wander from God's will. But that's exactly what Samson was doing in this ungodly wedding. Now let me draw your attention to Samson's wager. We're going to continue reading in verse 12 of Judges 14. Because after they brought these 30 companions to be with him, Samson said to those 30, he said, let me pose a riddle to you. Kind of weird, I know. 
But he said, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can tell me correctly, if you can correctly solve and explain the riddle to me, then I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot explain the riddle to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And the 30 companions said to Samson, pose your riddle that we may hear it. Make your bet. Place your wager, buddy. And the Bible says that Samson said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days, the companions could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass that on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife went on to him and said, You only hate me. You don't even love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you've not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I'm not going to explain it to my father and mother either. Why should I explain it to you? And now she wept on him. She wept on him for seven days while the feast lasted. And it happened that on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed her, because she pressed him so much, then she explained the riddle to the sons of the people. And so the men of the city said to Samson on the seventh day, just before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? You remember last week, as Samson was going to get his new wife, he found the carcass of a dead lion that he had killed. And bees had made a hive in that dead carcass. And Samson had reached in there and got him a handful of that honey. Amen. And he ate it on the way home. And then when he got the to where his mother and father lived, he gave some to them without even telling them where it came from. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion was the answer to that riddle. And then Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. So here we got Samson placing the wager, placing the bet, giving those 30 companions something to glean. Now we have no idea what prompted Samson to make this bet with his companions, but if I had to say, it was probably pride. Amen? Every time we look at Samson, I see pride. Uh, I will obviously say that Samson was out of God's will I recognize that. But I also see that Samson was just playing out living a godly or a sinful lifestyle. So first I want you to notice Samson's hardness of heart. Regardless of what the reasons were for Samson's riddle, what seems especially hard-hearted to me is Samson's attitude toward his sin. Think about it. He looks back on this sinful event of him digging honey out of a dead lion 
And he makes a joke about it. He makes a joke about it by eating that honey from the lion's carcass and then giving it to his mama and daddy. Samson broke his Nazarite vow to God and he said that he had touched something dead. He touched something unclean. He had defiled himself. Then he defiled his mama and daddy. But what's really, really bad is that he used it for the basis of a riddle. He's making a joke about his sin. If you look at it, that's really a great way to look into the heart of Samson. Samson's got heart problems. It's a sign, friend, of real spiritual problems when a person is no longer affected by their sin. If they can sin freely without a care in the world, you know that person's got serious, serious problems. Now, I know that we all sin. Amen? We all sin. There's no doubt about that. We all agree with that. But when we sin as believers, when we sin as believers, something happens in here. When we sin as believers, we are convicted of that sin. The Spirit of God says, hey, that's wrong, buddy. You need to change. When we're sinning as believers, there's also discipline from the hand of God. God's not going to allow you to keep on sinning and sinning and sinning, casting bad, bad vibes on His name. Amen? So we know there's going to be conviction. We know there's going to be discipline. But when we sin as believers, here's something that really happens. When we sin as believers, we are struck with a sense that we have dishonored God. When we sin as believers, we are struck with the sense that we have displeased the Lord. We are struck with this sense, friend, that we have damaged the fellowship we have with God. And if those things do not exist, friend, you might be one of these ones languishing in your sin. See, when we sin as believers, we feel the need. We feel the need to be forgiven. We feel the need to be cleansed. We feel the need for our relationship, our fellowship with God to be restored. And here's my point. All that was totally absent from Samson. He wasn't feeling any conviction. He wasn't experiencing any discipline. He didn't have that sense that he had dishonored, displeased, or damaged his fellowship with God. Samson didn't have that need to be forgiven and cleansed and restored. It's an indication to me that Samson's heart was getting real hard. It's an indication to me that his conscience has been seared. It's almost a permanent condition. It's an indication that sin has got deep, deep roots in Samson's life. Listen, I just believe it ought to break our hearts when we sin against God. We ought to feel just crushed when we sin against God. David put it this way. He said, against you and you only have I done this thing. You may think that your sin affects you or somebody else, but you know who it really affects? It really affects God. That's right. But instead of having that, notice Samson's gamble for gain. Instead of that hardness of heart, 
he tries to couple that with a gamble for gain. Now, Samson's wager is very simple, right? He says if the Philistines can't solve the riddle by the end of the week, they owe him 30 undergarments and 30 changes of clothes. If they do solve it, then Samson owes them the same. It doesn't seem like it to us, but y'all, this is a very expensive bet in that day. Very expensive indeed. Now, there is no verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not gamble. Does everybody know that? Say amen if you know that. Thou shalt not gamble. Let me tell you what the Bible does say. The Bible does say, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So the Bible may not say thou shalt not gamble, but it sure does tell you what the love of money will do in the heart of a believer. The Bible goes on to say, let not your conduct, or let your conduct be rather, without covetousness. Let your conduct be without the love of money. Amen? That's not your priority. That's not what keeps you alive. But Samson, Samson thought his bet was a sure thing. You see, all gambling, when it's boiled down to its least common denominator, all gambling is an ungodly desire to get something for nothing. Are you hearing me, church? All gambling basically is, is an ungodly desire for you to get something for nothing. If you play the lottery and you give him your dollar, you're praying that you're going to get something for nothing. Amen? God hadn't provided what I needed, so i gotta, I got to give him this dollar so I can get something for nothing. But again, Samson thought this bet was a sure thing. Samson just knew that there was no way he was going to lose this bet. I mean, he was the only one that knew the answer. He was the only one that knew the answer to the riddle. He knew he wasn't losing. He just knew that he'd be wearing new duds by the end of the week. Well, the watch phrase of a gambling addict is this. This is a sure bet. This is a sure bet. Can't lose. That's the watch phrase of a gambling addict. You see, Samson didn't think for a second that his companions would cheat. He didn't think that they would cheat for a second. But when we gamble with sin, y'all, the house always wins. When we gamble with sin, we lose. Every time. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. But it's going to happen. And when they were unable to solve this riddle for three days, they came to Samson's bride and they threatened to kill her and her parents by burning her in their home. If she don't get the answer for them, she's dead. And so are her parents. And so out of fear, Samson's bride uses every tool in her arsenal to get the answer out of Samson. She begins by using guilt, saying, you don't love me. You hate me. And when that doesn't work, 
She uses sympathy. She cries on him all week long, crying because he won't give her the answer. And when all that doesn't work, you know what she does? She just nags him to death, amen? Know anybody like that? I don't. She just nags him to death until she got the answer. But there's only so much that even the strongest man in the world can handle, right? And so what happens is he finally tells her the answer. And then immediately, she goes and tells the answer to her people, her countrymen. Well, Samson knows immediately how they got the answer, right? Because there's only one that he told, his nagging wife. But I got, you got to love his response in verse 18 because he's so angry with her. You know what he does? He calls her a heifer. Amen. You ever met any heifers in your life? I've heard y'all use that word, so I know it's true. Amen. He calls her a heifer. Stubborn, unruly, betraying. She's just an old heifer. But you know, Samson could have avoided this trouble altogether. He could have avoided the problem altogether. He shouldn't have been involved with this Philistine woman to begin with. He shouldn't have been playing around with the enemy to begin with. And But because he refused to keep his distance from them, Samson paid a high price. You know, Samson is a lot like a lot of people in our world. Some people are so smart about some things. But they're so dumb about sin. Amen? I mean, it's incredible. The dangers are so obvious. But these people seem so oblivious to the dangers of sin. And sadly, their willful ignorance will lead to their ultimate destruction. Finally, this wager at Samson's wedding leads to Samson's wrath. Let's finish with the last two verses. In verse 19, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. That's interesting. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, and he killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothes to those who explained the riddle. And so his anger was aroused, and he went back to his father's house, and his Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Wow. So Samson's got a debt to pay. Right? They answered the riddle. They cheated, but they answered the riddle. Samson's got a debt to pay. But instead of going out to the store and buying 30 changes of clothes, Samson kills 30 Philistines some 20 miles away, takes their clothes, and brings them back and pays his gambling debt. Now, that's further indication to me of what kind of man Samson was. How you react to people around you, how you react when you're angry is a window into your heart. You can tell a whole lot about a man. You can tell a whole lot about a woman by how they react to people when they really get mad. If you're acting like Jesus, then you're going to react like Jesus. If you're not acting like Jesus, then you're going to act like Samson. 
Amen. Samson is so angry. He's so mad. You know what he does? He runs home to daddy. He runs home to his father. What we have here is a runaway groom. Amen. He runs back home to his mom and daddy. And when the girl's father sees that Samson has abandoned their daughter, you know what he does? He just gives his daughter to the best man. Next one in line. But Samson could have cared less. Samson could have cared less for his father-in-law. Samson could have cared less for the best man. Samson could have cared less for the bride-to-be. The girl's father couldn't have cared less about the dowry that Samson had paid. The best man didn't care that that the woman was promised to another man. See, all this is what happens, y'all. All this is what happens when you're wandering from the will of God. This is what happens when you wander from the will of God. Your friendships will be destroyed and your relationships will be ruined when you're not walking in the will of God. Someone once said, anger like fire finally dies out. But only after leaving a path of destruction. That's what anger does. But I brought your attention to verse 19 because that verse ought to cause us to stop and think real quick. I think we would all be in agreement that what Samson did was wrong. Is that the truth? Amen. We all agree that what Samson did was wrong. But verse 19 says that before he went and killed those 30 Philistines for their clothes, listen to what happened. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson mightily. Is this what happens? When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon somebody, do they go and kill 30 Philistines and take their clothes to pay a gambling debt? No, that's not what happens. It appears to me that Samson was ignoring the Spirit within him. The Spirit came mightily, but Samson ignored the Spirit. The Spirit will guide you, friend, to do the right thing. The Spirit will guide you to say the right thing. The Spirit will guide you to relate with others the right way, but it's up to you to yield to that Spirit and submit to that Spirit and surrender to the Spirit of God so that He will have free reign in your life. But it's also just a reminder that our sin, our sin cannot derail God's plan. God don't make you sin. God doesn't want you to sin. And God doesn't condone you to sin. But God will use your sin for His glory. Your sin cannot derail the plans of God. These verses today speak volumes to you and I. They speak volumes to the condition of our heart. My brothers and sisters, don't gamble your life away by flirting with sin. It'll win every time. The house always wins. Don't gamble your life away by seeking wealth that you haven't earned. There's no upside to that. Don't gamble your life away by harboring anger 
animosity, unforgiveness, or ill will toward anybody, but especially a brother or sister in Christ. We must take care to remember that God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? That means that we are called to love others while they are yet sinners. That's the high call of God on your life. Love them even while they're yet sinners. So friend, listen, if you're going to gamble... If you're going to gamble, I want to encourage you to bet on Jesus. Bet on Jesus. Bet your eternity on Jesus. Because with Jesus, you will never lose. Let me pray for you.